Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Crowning Around, a podcast where three regular everyday peasants attempt to learn about the royal family through their depictions on film and television. My name is Sam Chung, and today we'll be continuing our journey by examining Netflix's The Crown, Season 2, Episode 2, entitled A Company of Men. As always, I'm joined today by my two co-hosts. First, a guy who hosts a small-scale Olympics everywhere he goes. It's Ivan Vukovic. Ivan, what is your favorite Olympic sport? Uh, damn it, Sam. Every fucking time. Uh, I'm all about the figure skating. I feel like it's the it's the one event that I never make it a point to watch otherwise outside of Olympic season. So every time the Winter Games comes on, my, my eyes are glued to the screen. Um, tangential question. Is tug of war a real Olympic sport? Uh, great question. If not, it should be. <laughs> also back with us, a woman who's on the hunt for a Jamaica doctor of her own. It's Carlin Greenwald's Carlin, how goes that search for you? Oh man, it it's very hard with uh given the circumstances of the world right now to get anywhere, to get any kind of doctor. So you know what? We're still looking. We're still looking. Have you been to Jamaica? I haven't. I've been to St. Thomas, but like British Virgin Islands, but not not Jamaica. Mm. It sounds really cool there though. I mean, it sounds like the place to go if you need to heal yourself from an unspecified malady. <laughs> I don't even know that we know what's wrong with Anthony Eden. He just needs to go to Jamaica for some reason. Yeah, I don't I don't know. If only we could Google things. No. <laughs> Relax. No. We don't know anything about the real people. No Googling. And that, yeah, perfect segue to our disclaimer that we always say, which is if you came to this podcast because you're curious about, you know, whether the, the events that happened in this episode are factually accurate and you're hoping that we can provide some clarity for you, you have come to absolutely the wrong place because we don't know. We're just going based off of what we saw in the episode. And yeah, that's good enough for us. So I think to get things kicked off today, Ivan is going to give us a quick recap of what happened in A Company of Men. Yeah, so season two, episode two, A Company of Men. This was an absolute whopper of an episode. Um, this is probably the most Philip-centric episode of the show so far, uh, for better or for worse. But um, yeah, it was really all about him and then things that sort of tangentially related to him. So um, let's let's start with Philip. So Philip is off on his world tour. Um, you know, he's uh, riding around with the Navy, sailing across all sorts of different oceans and, and, and between different land masses, visiting the Commonwealth, uh, you know, making addresses, getting interviewed by reporters. And uh, there's, you know, this kind of overarching question of, you know, what does this separation between Elizabeth and Philip mean for their marriage? Um, especially given how you know, there's already these suspicions of infidelity and, and Philip being restless and unhappy with his life uh, married to the queen. Um, you know, now he's off on his own for five months. Uh, he is uh, meeting all sorts of people, women included. And, uh, you know, how how faithful is he going to be? Um, well, we don't really get a definitive answer to that, um, uh, but we do get a little uh, kind of sense of self-reflection and, and really kind of getting a sense of like what makes Philip tick, what makes him happy, what are the things that he holds dear. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, none of this is really plot. Like you notice that I'm just kind of like talking in circles right now. Um, really, the only thing that happens uh, with any magnitude is that Philip 
does get asked to deliver a Christmas Day address that is going to precede the main one delivered by the Queen. Um, and the two, uh, you know, speeches that uh, he and Elizabeth give kind of complement one another and and really kind of seem to give Philip a sense of place and a, and and a and a piece that we haven't really you know seen him um, aware uh, throughout uh, the show so far. So that's all really nice. Um, and then you have Mike Parker, uh, Philip's private secretary, who, uh, unbeknownst to him, um, had a lot going on during this era, but it was being carried out um, by his wife, uh, Eileen Parker, who uh, is seeking a divorce from Mike uh, based on the grounds of infidelity. Um, an infidelity uh, that is in this episode much more explicitly confirmed than the sp- suspicions around uh Philip, where everything there is very vague and nebulous and like you kind of have to draw your own conclusions with Philip. They do not shy away from the fact uh, that this man is cheating on his wife. His wife is unhappy. She wants to leave him. She's looking for proof, which she then um, sort of finds in the form of a uh, waitress who works at the lunch club that Philip and Mike belong to. Um, She is willing to, uh, you know, tell the attorney that, yes, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, had an encounter with uh, Mr. Parker, but she's not willing to go to court and testify publicly, uh, which puts uh, uh, Mrs. Parker, uh, Eileen, in a really tough spot. So, yeah, those are the two kind of major threads uh, in this episode. We also get a little bit more of uh, Prime Minister Anthony Eden, who is... uh, uh, I don't know if you call it sickness, but just general uh, lack of well-being is now prompting him to exile himself to Jamaica, where he can supposedly get the type of health care uh, that will be needed uh, for him to recover. Um, yeah, all in all, it was a very grand episode. I feel like uh, even just from a budget standpoint, we got so many just like sweeping shots of oceans and foreign lands and just beautiful scenery. It was a very visually stunning Um so, you know, a lot happened, but also not a lot happened. But yeah, this was uh, this was the uh, Phillips show for sure. Thanks, Ivan. So, yeah, I mean, I think let's start with the Phillips show, because I think that the creators of the show are very deliberate in on this voyage. There's a lot of hinting at infidelity, but we never actually see any infidelity with Philip. And so I think any Philip apologists will be like, well, we didn't see it, so it didn't happen. But I think that. We all have our suspicions. Yes, I think that's a very deliberate choice by the showrunners to uh, not take a definitive stance on whether Philip was truly unfaithful to Elizabeth or not. But then in contrast with Mike Parker, like they just straight up show us like there is literally like a silhouette shot of him about to engage in coitus like there's no (laughs) ambiguity around Mike. But with Philip, they're just they're going to, you know, let us draw our own conclusions. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because in a way it would mirror what Elizabeth is going through where like she would never get any like concrete answers at this point where she is. That's what I thought they were doing. And like, I don't know the actual history as we've established. And I wonder if the public ever got any concrete answers on this. So I'd be interested to see if this is like reflecting sort of the actual questions that people had in like the real time. Although I do think it's a really interesting artistic choice as well, because it definitely does give that like ambiguity to Philip's character. Like, yeah, they're just not letting us hate him in this episode, like down, like outright the way you can really clearly do that with Mike. Like 
Mike, if he had any stands, like, granted, I don't know why you would stand him in the first place. And maybe this is like adding to what you like about Mike. But like, it just made me personally be like, wow, this, this guy sucks. Yeah. And they really don't want you to hate Philip because we got a ton of Philip backstory courtesy mm-hmm. of this reporter lady, Helen. Her name is Helen, right? Helen King. That sure. sounds right. <laughs> we're just, we're going to go with Helen. And Philip is feeling good about himself and he's a little bit horny. So he's like, yeah, let's, uh, let's get interviewed by this lady because she's young and attractive. And she comes in and she's throwing real hard balls at him. Real like oh, deep yeah. questions. She wants to get to know him right away. I quite like that. Like, go you, go you, Helen. Like, let's just go and like crack this egg right open. It, yeah, that was no, a that great was fanta- scene. Fantastic. <laughs> I am so like, I can't stop thinking about how she was like, you know, you like because he never dealt with this like intergenerational trauma that like it's going to affect the like his children and like all generations to come. And you just kind of sit here and you're like, wow, Helen knew. <laughs> Helen really knew. Yeah, she dives way into like the backstory of Philip, which we've got like bits and pieces of. And I thought this was a fun way for them to do it because mm-hmm. it's a it's it's a different way to just kind of, because it's all es- it's all exposition essentially, but mm-hmm. I think it's helpful for us to know as people who don't know that much about Philip to know more about sort of the trauma that he's gone through um and especially like how the rest of the world sees him. And I thought it was funny mm-hmm. also when they're trying to, she paints him as like a progressive quote unquote. Um, yeah. And we've seen like bits of that, but I feel like we don't necessarily consider him to be that progressive. Yeah. yeah I also finally sure. like feel like I have some actual clarity about what the Mountbatten Nazi connections are. Cause it, it was just something that was almost like hyperbolically thrown out earlier uh, by Winston and, and others. But now it's like, Oh, okay. So that is the actual familial connection there. That that's interesting. Yeah. I, I can't help but think that, um, Philip's backstory is more interesting than like who he is right now. I mean, like, you know, the entire life if you like took a biopic of like Philip from like this point in the show backwards. I guess this would be interesting too. But like he's gone through so much, like even the part about like him being in like the box again. Are we ever going to talk about the box? That is horrifying. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's it's a lot. That man needs therapy and he's clearly not going to get it. So it's really tough because obviously like this is, you know, based off of real people. But like if 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 I'm like kind of following traditional like kind of storytelling tropes and conventions, I feel like this is the scene that like sets up like, you know, provides the expedition exposition, but also kind of sets up future storylines and further deep dives of Philip's backstory. Like this is mm-hmm. where we scratch the surface and we get a couple of teases. I imagine and I hope that some of these details will be further fleshed out in future episodes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because it's definitely got you like interested to learn more. So I hope they deliver on that. I hope so too. Yeah. And I thought that Helen had a really interesting point where she says something along the lines of like, don't you think that your people deserve to know who you are, especially since, you know, you're an unelected official who has like a, a life appointment. And I just thought that was a really good point because nobody really has a choice with Philip. They're kind of just stuck with him, whether they like it or not. So I feel like a lot of people would want to know more about him. I, I, and I imagine it's probably even like kind of more removed for the Australians where it's like, oh yeah, this is their prince, but 
I mean, this is a man who lives, you know, across the world and has no real bearing on their local politics or way of life, but they have to recognize and celebrate him when he comes around. What did you, uh, what did you think about his speech all about Australia and how resilient those people are? Uh, I mean, I, I, I imagine he does not feel that way at all about the Australians. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Just those, those speeches, they all have like the very, very similar condescending tone. And for a while, I forgot what country he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in the full Philip journey, the other, I think, big Philip moment that we get uh, is his fight with the flag officer about saving a boat that has uh, run into a storm and there's one survivor, but it would be back in the direction from which they had already come. So they would have to turn around and rescue that guy, which would not uh which which is not allocated for on the royal itinerary yeah so i mean i think that's really interesting because it's like as an audience member you're being like very easy moral question go back and save the guy (laughs) but like it just very clearly like it's an interesting moment of like philip versus the crown and like not even a direct way because it's very clear that like the the man that philip is like directly fighting with you're like i don't care about this man i don't like he's clearly just like a little middleman and so you're like Oh, yeah, you know, good job, Philip. It's like it almost like set up like a, you know, like you give Philip a little pat on the head. Like, you're a good man. You you did a good thing. I know, but, but I mean, it's like, like I mean, the bare they, minimum. <laughs> yeah, like they film it in a way where it's like very emotional and to what extent they could do it. They obviously have very pretty sets and like lots of, I don't know. It, it's very, <laughs> you know, very yeah. showy. And I agree. so in that regard, like it works on like a level of you're just casually watching and you're like, Good job, Philip. You saved the the man from dying, but good, it feels very manipulative. <laughs> yeah, um, I'd also never heard of a flag officer until yesterday. That doesn't sound like a really powerful position. <laughs> no, it sounds like high school flag girl got um. That's that's her next level <laughs> is to be the flag officer. Wait, what's a flag girl? Apparently, I didn't have one of these in high school because my school was so small. We didn't even have a marching band. But apparently in a marching band, there's like people who twirl flags. Like they don't play the instruments. They just, yeah. Yeah. Those people. Yeah, that checks out. I I also went to a uh, lower class neighborhood high school that did not have a marching band. Wait, was this the Eleanor Roosevelt High School? Oh, wait, no, that was (laughs) elementary school. (laughs) No, no, yeah. The, the Eleanor Roosevelt Elementary was in a nice part of town. My my high school, not so much. Interesting. Was it the Daisy part of town? <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, that's a deep cut. Um, yeah, the, the flag officer. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> there were a lot of passing faces in this episode. Lots, lots of background characters. Yeah. No, and then he rescues this guy and he takes him back to his home island. Um and I th- and they make this seem like the moment where Philip really sort of realizes how homesick he is. He's like, "Look at all these families and all these people having fun and they're so glad to be reunited." It, it, to, to me like he was surrounded by families that whole time. <laughs> <laughs> it takes him to see this man. I mean, I guess, like, okay, the guy almost died. But, like, he could have made this realization anywhere along the way. But also just the fact that he kind of had that realization. Like, if we're looking at it from, like, a story beat standpoint, like what Ivan was saying, you would think this would be the start of his, like, turning around in his characterization to where, like, he would be 
more receptive toward his family life and like dealing like properly fixing the marriage. So it's interesting to see that that does not happen. So I want to know what goes wrong after this point where he was like kind of into Elizabeth's speech a little bit. Very, yeah, lots, lots of Philip head thoughts that get very complicated. I want to talk about the technology on this boat because it makes no sense. Philip tries to make a phone call that doesn't work, yet he can make a broadcast to the world and people can hear him like crystal clearly. Uh, better reception in the Ar- Antarctic? <laughs> <laughs> I Oh my God, I almost said the wrong thing. Like that one moment where Elizabeth's like, I, I think the Antarctic, what was like the Antarctic and like the Arctic are the same place, but one slightly higher. Yeah, I was like, are they learning about Antarctica in real time? <laughs> what is happening? I, apparently that um that tutor she had last season did not teach her where Antarctica is. Yeah, I, I was I was stunned by that moment because like while while I understand that there are some deficiencies in Elizabeth's education, I would figure just based off of the position she holds, she has a basic grasp of global geography. <laughs> is there a British colony in the Antarctic, though? Would she need to know that? Oh, maybe not. They probably claimed it. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> they probably Didn't went down like there like, this ice claim is it? ours. <laughs> it, was a very, it was funny. I don't know if it was just there to be funny, but like, yeah, it was. I don't know what's going on with her. We're tutoring episode part two. We need it. Yeah, I think to close out the episode, the the pair of speeches... I found to be very interesting. It seems like Philip had written his speech himself, which I mm-hmm. feel like is a big no-no based on how they treated Margaret when she yeah. tried to do that. So I was very surprised. they Not only that they let Philip write his own, well, not that they let a, a royal person write his own speech, but they let Philip, of all people, write his own speech. That was wild to me. I guess once Winston leaves office, they're just like, Philip, you're okay. Well, Elizabeth also uh, apparently made some last-minute modifications to her speech. Uh, like, a- a- as we saw, it's like, oh, some some last-minute changes, some- something like that. I feel like even for her, that that's kind of a risky move. I agree. Are, are those last-minute edits being vetted? I don't know. I guess they just assume that, like, she wouldn't do anything that radical. She has a very clear track record of not doing that. She needs to be radical one day. Just Just really throw them off. And then the, the, the last moment that we see of Philip is him and Mike just standing on the edge of the boat uh, talking about family. And the last person Philip should be getting advice about family from is Mr. Mike. <laughs> we got a lot from his family and none of it was good. Okay, straight up. I thought that Philip was going to like friend divorce Mike as like the end <laughs> to his arc of realizing that he's been behaving badly. And I now I just don't think it's ever gonna happen. But um, I they fooled me. So okay, I am not here to defend Philip, and I'm certainly not here to defend Mike Parker. Um, but I will say one thing: I was uh, maybe not impressed, but surprised that at the very least, it seems like Mike and Philip. Don't subscribe to Eurocentric beauty standards. I guess. I don't know if they're like playing into like the exoticized woman thing. Well, I know, but like that, that, I mean, and I know that is a really weird takeaway, but I I just remember thinking like, huh, like, huh, like they are, they're going around like ranking the beauty of, of 
women of different like backgrounds and 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 just groups throughout the world and it's like oh okay so i guess they're being pretty objective about it like i don't know that 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 moment kind of blew my mind for some reason fair enough um (laughs) that would be nice i i did not interpret it that way but uh hopefully that's what they're doing uh, should we pivot to Eileen? Um, you mean my favorite storyline of this episode? Yes. Come on, Eileen. <laughs> come on. Oh, I wanted to say that so bad. I was like, come on, Eileen. <laughs> yeah, no, she, I felt so bad for her because like, it shouldn't be this hard to leave such a twat. <laughs> like, my- Yeah, I, is this must just be like a 50s thing, like that they have to do this? Yeah, because this definitely isn't a thing now. No, I don't think huh. so. Yeah, like. And and probably like specifically a British fifties thing because I imagine it probably wasn't a look a good look to get divorced in the U.S. around this time either. But it, I imagine there was probably like a, a more easier path to do it, whereas it, it seems very just the whole process seems very like scrutinized and, and challenging here. Mm-hmm. For sure, just one example, but I don't think that Chris Humphreys, you know had time to do anything like this <laughs> oh my god wow that was a while ago <laughs> but yeah i mean it's also we have the return of like um is it called the firm who are the what's the name for just the staff that the crown has is that a whole i don't know the, uh, i don't the know staff. yeah the, the staff as like villain they've like come back because like you see the very clear obstacle like obviously the divorce lawyer is like you need evidence but on the other side every single time she tries to do something there's those secretaries being like nope they (laughs) this is not happening this woman has to be miserable you're talking about michael and uh and martin yeah yeah i mean like i get why they're doing it it's like their job to like make philip look good but it's so sad for eileen like (laughs) Wait, I I forget. Were were they were they like uh, running interference uh, on that whole like investigation of hers in any way? I think they were just keeping track of it for now. But there was some kind of implication that if she got far enough, that like they would intervene. Yeah, they're ready. Well, yeah, because because cause their their concern is that if like a Mike Parker infidelity scandal emerges, then that will just immediately like suck philip into the vortex just because of how how tightly knit those two are which which is a totally fair concern and like eat like let's pretend for conversation's sake that philip had not uh cheated on elizabeth in any way and he was squeaky clean mm-hmm. i totally get it i totally get that like oh his best friend is like a scumbag and people are gonna assume he's a scumbag too as a result well yeah. i think it, it escalated when they found out that you know, a lot of, that the the place that Eileen was going to for answers was the lunch club, which maybe this went over my head, but I didn't realize that Mike and Philip were the founders of this lunch club. I thought that they had just joined, but apparently this is like their lunch club. I didn't know that either, but makes sense. <laughs> I think I think I think that's probably why that guy had to read like Mike's letter with like such like zeal and excitement, because like. You know, like Mike wasn't around, but he was like the the big boss of the whole club. So it's just like, all right, fellas, we got a letter from our president. Let let let's see what he's up to. Whereas I feel like if it had just been some random member of the club, they, they they're not going to have the entire meeting interrupted to have their letter read. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. I thought they were just reading those letters because like they're like the most famous members of the club. 
but that makes sense. Okay, so like Mike is like I, I I don't know if I realized this previously, but like he does have the official title of private secretary to uh, you know Prince Philip, uh, Duke of Edinburgh. So I wonder, like it's funny, like when you compare him to you know Michael and Martin, who are also private secretaries, part of that whole like royal office of private secretaries. I mean, like Mike just doesn't give a shit. Like, like yeah. it's his job to, in theory, like protect Philip's image and you know make sure that you know like he he's you know kind of managing him from a PR standpoint. But like he himself is just like doing things that could blow up and really hurt both him and Philip. And he does not seem to be uh, per- particularly risk averse. Yeah, I don't think Philip really. Um did a good job like filtering his choices for private secretary like imagine if michael and martin were traveling the world and just like hooking up with women from every single country and island that they visit i mean do yeah, we need oh, to imagine while, like elizabeth is traveling with them <laughs> while elizabeth is traveling with them that see that sounds like a way better episode I think that's what Philip wants, though. Yeah, but like, at some point, don't Michael and Martin step in and say, like, "Hey, uh, Mike Parker cannot be your private secretary." No, I he's he's out. You would think so. That happened to Martin himself. (laughs) (laughs) Martin, stand down, Martin. You suck. Yeah, (laughs) get the back of the line. And 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 Martin was good with it. And like, yeah, I mean, you you would think that like. I feel like it should not have come to this point for like Michael and Martin to suddenly be like wary of Mike Parker being the private secretary. <laughs> like the the guy was like clearly just this whole time, just like a giant fuck boy. Like why did they allow him <laughs> to retain that position for so long? It, it's so unknown. I don't know. Can I, can I just, um, prescribed to some fan uh like fan fiction theory that like michael adine and mike parker are the same person but they just made one different choice when they were like five years old that set them on just like (laughs) radically different paths oh my god (laughs) oh there was so much fuckboy energy in this episode because like anthony eden also kind of has it in like a diplomacy way oh my god it's too much but like again i think the eileen storyline was the most like sympathetic and speaking of fan fiction i go into all these like very heterosexual shows being like okay where would the lesbian storyline start and to be totally honest i think that it would start oh here we go eileen and the waitress i you know you just have to take it one step further yeah, sure. she helps yes okay look it's way better than mike parker there's not enough storylines of mistress and wife getting together and so i think that would be the most functioning relationship in this show they both had to suffer through like being lovers to Mike Parker, which like I'm just gonna assume wasn't good. He doesn't see, you know. Let's that's gonna be my headcanon. And Ooh. yeah, I think it'd be great. It's this is this is the best one I got so far. We're gonna see if I'm gonna find a better one in the show, but it's that's what I got. Is there a re- like for, for you to have this headcanon? Like, is there a requirement that the two characters need to have actually met? Because I'll do you one better and I'll say Eileen Parker and Helen King. <laughs> oh my God! Wait. <laughs> I mean, look, there were a lot of um very interesting female characters. Like, ironically, Elizabeth, once again, doesn't she hasn't done that much this season, but we can get to that later. But yeah, no, there were a lot of um very interesting like side characters or like, you know, guest star characters in this episode. So I do like that option. I I hope that she too will one day find her lady love. <laughs> 
and stop interviewing <laughs> these men. But you know, I, I I don't know what's going to happen to them. Do do you do you ever imagine uh you know in, in your kind of like fan fiction driven mind like uh, Elizabeth finding her own uh, like lesbian partner or is she just like not adventurous enough to even like pick picture that scenario it, for her? It has to be a, a slow burn, so um it, it would be built up very slowly because she's kind of just really repressed anyway like on a very basic level where I think she literally is only sexually attracted to Philip. Like Car that's... Carlin, could it, could it be Galena uh, Ulanova, the ballerina that she went to see <laughs> oh, in the last I, episode? I, if there this we was go. original fiction and I was just writing about some generic <laughs> queen and some generic ballerina, that is what I would do. Yes, this you guys understand now what I do. And yeah, so that would work. Um that's perfectly viable and like i think that elizabeth can have future scenarios if she ever meets another female polit not politician because clearly that doesn't happen until like thatcher but like wife of but okay i i i really hate to shatter your dreams carlin no. but like i i know exactly how this scenario would play out with elizabeth there would be an episode where she realizes that she's a lesbian and she considers she considers going against tradition, <laughs> divorcing Philip and, and marrying her lesbian lover. But then she realizes last minute that no, 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 no. I have a responsibility to the crown yeah. and to this marriage. No, and no, no. Ivan, first she, she brings her tutor back in to explain <laughs> what are these feelings that I'm feeling? Can you please explain them to me? <laughs> Can I just say, I think Margaret knows. Margaret feels like she knows a lot of information and that she just doesn't tell Elizabeth. Like, not that she is. Margaret feels like one of those people who would have a lot of gay friends. And like at one point at a party is like, you know what? I'm not experiencing the full like human experience. I'm going to go have sex with a woman and then never talk about it again. That's the vibe she gives off. Elizabeth still just gives off horse girl vibes but there are there's an entire set of lesbian horse girls so like it could work yeah. again we'll see if this ever plays out if if the crown ever gives me party margaret and i could talk about this more oh boy let's go i know they only like they briefly mentioned that she parties but like i want a party scene oh i feel like we we've seen her party <laughs> but i i i want more i need more evidence yeah no i was gonna say we i feel like we did get some gay vibes because for some reason they showed a real quick scene on the boat where everybody was like in the bathroom and we saw one butt <laughs> and i was like what was the point of that i mean look i fully believe that in like every single army like military scenario that has happened throughout all of history that there has been like at least one if not like 10 gay affairs at any given moment I just those boys like there's some boy there's on any some given man boat. on that ship. There's some man <laughs> on the boat who is like, you know, I am married. I I can't cheat with another woman, but you know, there are a lot of naked men on this boat. <laughs> Let's just go for that. It's completely reasonable. You're going to be out there in the ocean bored out of your mind. I mean, come on. Absolutely. The yeah. question is, would Mike or Philip ever get to that state or are they perfectly satiated with um for Mike, the women of the world, and for Philip, ambiguousness. Yeah. Well, well, I feel like this uh, brings us to the uh, beard growing competition, which I felt was symbolic of, <laughs> of the idea of like, oh no, <laughs> we we are men, and and this is going to be our protective layer, insulating us from any homoerotic desires. 
Okay, that's actually really funny because they did all have the baby face. They were all twinks on that boat. Yeah, I, they. I mean, to be totally honest, if like you had to be put into any scenario in the Crown, like you had to live through it, I'm sure it was really fun to be in that little navy where you got to like go travel and like play sports and not have fancy dinners. But oh, <laughs> they were quite entertaining. Well, didn't, yeah, didn't Philip, uh, when he was having his argument with the flag officer, basically just kind of insinuate, like, this ship is not doing anything of any militaristic value. It is literally just, like, a pleasure cruise ship, and we're all just kind of hanging out, and it's like, you know, fuck you, we're going to go, you know, take this man back to his home, because let's do something of actual value for once. Yeah. Yeah. Ivan, what's the longest you've ever grown your beard out? Um... I, I mean, are are you talking about like measurable length or just like, I, I feel like uh, maybe a year or two back was probably when I had it at the absolute longest where, you know, it, 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 it was taking on like some, some, some grisly like <laughs> attributes. Um, and it, there was, yeah, there was no way to like, to, I, I have had my beard long enough to the point where there was just no way for it to not be unkempt. Um, and I, I think I had that for for a couple of months before, you know, now kind of going back to a more like maintainable length. Is Eileen the new Venetia? Oh, I hmm. I mean, I admire she, no, her moxie. No, she's the she's the anti Venetia. Like uh, Venetia was was a a woman in love. Eileen is a woman disillusioned. So is Eileen is actually true. the new Peter? Just another person who can't get a divorce. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Man, where's a happy woman on this show? Like apparently if you're in love with Winston Churchill, you die. <laughs> Otherwise, you can't get married. You have to be the Queen of England or you're really sad that you are no longer like useful as queen mother. Like name a name a happy woman on this show. Even I guess journalist Helen <laughs> King who deserves her own spin-off. <laughs> I hope she gets to run her incomplete article, <laughs> and it's oh very God. good. Let's try to just touch upon some of these other storylines that we saw in this episode before we wrap it up. So in the greater world of uh, the UK at this time, basically because of Anthony Eden's failed attempt to take over Egypt, uh, the UK is just in total ruin, economic drain, run on sterling, panic buying at the gas stations, fuel shortage, <laughs> worst week since World War II. Love to see it. Yeah. Great ba ba basically, March 2020. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk for a second about Anthony Eden yelling at his uh, yelling at his doctor that he needs stronger drugs and his doctor yeah. going, there's nothing stronger. <laughs> we could just kill that was you. Great. <laughs> then he wouldn't feel any pain. Do, do we feel like it is like a deliberate artistic decision that... Anthony Eden is maybe the one character on the entire series so far that we have not really been presented with any redeeming qualities. I just like assume none whatsoever. He has no redeeming qualities. Yeah, I don't know. He must have either been like a genuinely right, horrible man. But I feel man. like even even some of the more rotten characters that we've encountered, they have like you know tried to paint them in a somewhat positive light but with anthony eden we get absolutely nothing like with each episode we just dislike him more and more <laughs> so easy to dislike yeah. you gotta have that fun <laughs> hate character that's what they yeah. realized between seasons one and two they're like we didn't have one of those let's get one 
Another underreported story. So after sporadic and infrequent appearances uh, for Mr. Mountbatten in season one, we're two for two here in season two. Is he like going to be a, a big presence, do we think? Dicky, I guess so. I mean, I, I think he's important. I don't know. He seems to be ascending in prominence. Yeah. All right, Dicky, let's see what happens next. If he's going to attempt to do anything useful or big or important. Also, guys, straight up, what was Elizabeth doing in this episode? I think she we got to see her eat food. That was a, that was new. Haven't seen we got that to see her attempt to make a phone call. Yeah, no, like I said, this was the Philip episode. Like, there really was not much room for anything else. We got brief Anthony Eden scenes. We got some Elizabeth, but like, it was really the Phil and and, and Mike, like the Phil and Mike show, whether you like it or not. I just I can't help thinking that. Elizabeth hasn't had like one of these maybe she has and I like just don't I'm not satisfied with anything but I feel like she hasn't really had like a deep contemplative like emotional episode where they like really you know like where we just get to sit and contemplate life with Elizabeth I mean maybe that's that's probably what the whole show is but like I don't know I feel like no one's no one's done any therapy on her like you know she hasn't had an interview they're never gonna give her one and maybe she never will reveal that she has really deep emotions that she can show but i'm always interested like it's interesting to see like other characters get to go like to those extremes and then you're like okay is this ever gonna happen for our mc yeah let's get oprah talking to her (laughs) could you imagine oh (laughs) she wouldn't say anything um we saw the queen mother i thought that she was very underutilized in this episode but i did like seeing her here I love Queen Mother. Yeah, she was not utilized well enough. I hope she comes back and does something prominent again. She does um, have the one good line where she's like, I told you Philip needs to go uh, on his own to shine. And then you just cut to Elizabeth and she's just like scowling. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to know if the royals ever have any like functioning relationship with each other where like they're not jealous of one another having any amount of attention. Because like there's that whole idea that like if every you know they're like a little team and so like if one person becomes popular like the entire institution gets like more popular but they can't deal with that like oh man even elizabeth you, you know what just occurred to me you know what i want to know so so philip um reads that note from elizabeth that she left in his bag has he at this point pieced together that she saw that little locket with the photo of galena ulanova in it i don't think so i don't think so and i don't think he will right because Unless she took it, unless it's like just not there anymore. Because <laughs> if she just put it back, then wouldn't he never know? But like if he if he sees that that note is there and then, you know, has the locket in his bag, like wouldn't it like occur to him that like she may have stumbled upon it as she did? It depends on how smart he is. I don't I don't know what his detect- detective skills are. No, it's I think- not. It's not a big no, bag. But knowing what we know, remember the scene in season one where he goes into Peter's office no. and <laughs> and um, Margaret's purse is on the table. I feel like he would have a similar moment. And he's oh. like, oh, yeah, look at this picture. Haha. <laughs> and he just like wouldn't piece those two things together. That's uh, true. He's an idiot. You're right. <laughs> oh, Philip. Did we touch upon like the conclusion to the Eileen story at all? Like she now has like the letter as proof. Well, like, I'm excited. Let's this go. Is gonna, yeah. Oh, that's right. Get it, Eileen. Yeah. Get it. Come on, Eileen. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Eileen. <laughs> I'm I'm so excited to watch that whole thing just blow up. 
Same. By crown standards, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, who knows? No, I mean, uh, like this... This this episode was a lot of like very just majestic setup. Like again, like yeah. I thought this was just such a beautiful episode. Like the the scenery and the cinematography, like everything was so top notch. I I feel like that this episode half had like half of season one's budget like rolled into it. Like yeah. it was very extravagant. But but in terms of actual plot progression, it's it seems like it was mostly like set up for you know future developments for both. Mike and Philip, um, and and potentially intertwined too. Totally. Um, all right. Any closing thoughts here on uh a company of men here before we move on to our awards for this episode? No, I, I yeah. There was a corgi shot in this episode and I was happy about that. Ooh. That's all I got. There was. So normally we do a kinky crown award, obviously. I wanna right off the bat just disqualify any Mike and Phil things as far as it pertains to their trip from nomination okay. <laughs> for the kinky crown award, because whoa, whoa, whoa. we will not I, give I, you the satisfaction. I, 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 no, 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 no. I, I object on the grounds of like, I absolutely feel I need to nominate the beard growing competition. Oh, that's I fair. Feel like that no, fair. I, that, that's yeah. fair. I mean like any of them going on their Island excursions, any of yeah. that stuff, but beard growing competition Absolutely. Fair game. Okay. As long as I can have that. Yes, you may yeah. have that. Let's see, Carlin, did you have anything? I mean, I guess I'll I'll nominate Eileen and that waitress. Again, I just <laughs> it was there. It was there. <laughs> um, it, it wasn't there. It was are we, are we 100% nominating there. Let's now? see what the I do not write real person fan fiction. Like I, I genuinely don't. And um I don't want that accusation on my name. No offense, people who write it like good for you. Um, I don't know how you do it. Uh, let's see. Oh, it, is that like a like like it, okay? So is that a real thing? Is that like you know? Is it like in that world of like like One Direction fan fiction, like that sort of thing? Yeah, like uh, you could probably right now find like Queen Elizabeth fan fiction. Like yeah, yeah, no, you could find it easily. Any real person. Oh, like, yeah, I just found weird. out that there is a fandom for the Donner Party. So someone's writing Donner <laughs> Party fan fiction right now. So, yeah, no, that's that's oh, a whole wow. that's a whole thing. And it helps when they're historical figures and if they're dead. In this case, the, the royals aren't dead, but no one cares. Um, well, Philip is. You know, there's a lot of... What? <laughs> no, <laughs> there's a lot of Beatles fan fiction and, like, Paul McCartney, he's still here. I think Ringo is, too. But anyway, um, so yeah, I'm going to put I those if, two. I wonder if there's any post-presidency Mar-a-Lago fan fiction. Oh, oh there probably <laughs> is, and I hate that. Like, I, I don't think anyone's spared. There's probably a lot of Ted Cruz fan fiction. Like, <laughs> um, Okay, so anyway, my actual nominations besides that, um, I think that Mike's, like, my Dear Baron letters are kind of kinky in their own right. Like, is that does that count as like part of his like island exploits like the fact that that man had to like dramatically read the letters out loud what if mike's they were specifically to the baron the baron was never supposed to read them out loud <laughs> yeah like that's that's i like the implication that that's what's happening like they had a little weird homoerotic relationship that the baron ruined by reading those letters out loud and will probably lead wait to cool. Mike getting divorced who is this Baron guy? Like, I don't know. Uh, like but... outside of the context of the scene that we saw him in, like, do, or, did we already meet him before? No, I think he's just a random lunch club member. And you got all of that <laughs> from his reading of the letter. I, yeah, I mean, I think there is something 
weirdly homoerotic about men writing to other men about their sexual exploits. Like, it's like, I dare you to imagine my penis going into a vagina. Like, I dare you to think about that. Like, I I, I think it's there. I'm going <laughs> to nominate that. You don't have to pick it. Yeah. Like, and then, it, it's good that you don't yeah, stick don't around know. for what Sam and I, I talk like, about after our recordings. Metaphorical ones. Like, I... I just think that when they had that voiceover where um where they're like, oh yeah, the the local people they are much better at sports. If they just see that one native like punch out the navy officer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. But oh, I mean yeah. mostly it's the, the waitress and the letters. <laughs> that just reminded me we didn't talk about cricket at all. It's like they were like, we lost at everything until we showed them cricket and then we won. It's like such a <laughs> a low ball move like yeah obviously <laughs> they've never played this weirdly complicated game before that was, that's like the equivalent of being like i lost every board game until i show until my me and my five-year-old played chess <laughs> yeah exactly. and he just but didn't yeah, understand so those are, it those are my nominations like the letters and the um and eileen and the waitress ivan you ever played cricket uh yes i actually really enjoy cricket <laughs> oh is it hard to play? I don't actually understand. Why how is that to play. so surprising? I don't know. It's just because... not big in the U.S. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's really easy. <laughs> it's well, no. So I went to like a like backyard barbecue party like once a couple years ago at a friend's house, and he had cricket set up uh, as a lawn game, and it, it was such a joy to play. It, it it's the most fun you'll ever have. And as soon as I left that party, one of the first thing I did was order my own cricket set. <laughs> and I've kept that cricket set in the trunk of my car, especially during summertime. And anytime I go anywhere where I'm like, this party needs some sprucing up, I bust <laughs> out the cricket set, lay it out, and teach people how to play and they lose their minds. It's 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 seriously the most fun you'll ever have. Oh wow, I'm gonna have to get a cricket set for my my lawn. <laughs> All right. As far as my nominations go, I have the fact that Liz and Phil can't have a phone call. So now any communication that they need to have and any affection that they need to show for each other needs to be broadcast to literally the entire world. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that there is something cryptic in their speeches. Oh my god. <laughs> for each other. Like that idea of like playing records backwards and then like the devil talks to you but in this case it's sex talk yes exactly and then also just you know the shower scene on the boat is the obvious one but i don't really want to give it to that because i feel like we have much more um intriguing options okay i think we have a lot of a lot of good ones to be honest i don't remember them all but yeah (laughs) oh well i i remember ivan's is that what you're going with maybe I don't know. I feel like that's me spoiling myself. I don't know. I kind of like the Baron and Mike. Ivan, you go next. I'm I'm waffling. Uh, I'm going to stick with my nomination of the beard growing competition. I just feel like there's just something so <laughs> like e- either homoerotic or just like anti-homoerotic about it. Like it, there, it's just very charged. Okay. So I guess... I'm feeling my own ideas today. I'm going to pick yours next time, Ivan. Don't hold me to that. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to go with the Baron and Mike. <laughs> but it was a solid. Like, I really had to think about it. Fair enough. I like all. Um, Fair enough. That's not to say that the beard growing competition wasn't, like, was, wasn't great because it was great. It was really good. It was good. <laughs> there were surprisingly good ones in this episode. Good, good job, Netflix. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think that's going to take us to a close here. 
on episode two of season two, A Company of Men. Ivan, if people want to find you, where can they do so? Uh, I don't know. Coinbase. Is that like is that a crypto buying <laughs> platform? <laughs> yeah, I, I signed up. I, I don't know if I'm going to do anything with it, but I have an account. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Carlin, where can people find you on social? I'm currently Twitter at Carlin Greenwald and Instagram at Carlin underscore G-E-E. All right. And I'm on Twitter at Sir Sam Chung. But the best place to reach us if you have any questions about the podcast or, uh, you know, you want to know about the crown and we can't answer it. The best place to reach us is on Twitter at crown around pod. You can find this episode and all of our earlier episodes, either at our website, www.paginatedmedia.com slash crowning around or on any platform where podcasts are available. And be sure to tune in next week when we will recap season two, episode three entitled Lisbon. Love to get some Portuguese vibes up in here until then. Thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next time. And come on, Eileen. (laughs) We did it. (laughs) See, wasn't that worth it?